Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. We've been talking about a lot of things um, over the last year. And in the in the middle of it all, and uh, can I get a, a water? Uh, Zach, will you grab me a water? Thank you, sir. Um, in the middle of of everything we are talking about, sometimes it can be really, really easy to get so distracted by all the things that don't we we don't remember the thing. There's a lot of stuff that sometimes goes on um, in churches. And there's a lot of sermon series that we do. And sometimes we can get, well, what are all the things I've got to be doing, all the things I've got to be remembering, thank you so much, sir, that we forget that there's only one thing that truly matters. And so this morning, if you'll turn with me in your Bible to uh, Romans, we're going to spend the entire morning this morning in various places in Romans. I'll reference a few other places. But this morning, I want to talk to you. I want to get down to the most important thing we believe. And I don't mean just the most important thing we believe as a church, as Forerunner House of Prayer. I want to talk about the most important thing we believe as believers, as Christians. So this morning, what I want to talk about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? And, and the purpose for this, first and foremost, is that if there's anyone in here that hasn't surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, that you will hear the good news, that you will hear the gospel, and that you will give your life to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, I, I, I've already given my life to Christ. Then you need to understand what the good news is so that you can effectively communicate that to people around you. How many know that's part of the Great Commission? We're supposed to be declaring the good news to everyone we see. And so some of us are sometimes scared. Um, I'm, I'm finding as time goes on, I'm more and more confident in the word that I'm less and less scared to share what Jesus has done for me. And uh, that has, that's, that's not me bragging on myself. That's me putting confidence in the word. And I invite you to do the same. Um, the word gospel, it simply means that. You're going to hear me maybe use them interchangeably on accident today, but the word gospel simply means good news. Good news. And there is good news. And what is that good news? Uh, I will say that when we're talking about what is the good news, that we get that information from here and here alone. This is the word of God. How many believe this is the word of God? And that's, that's where we stake all of our all of our truth is right here. And, and, and the reason I want to pull that out is, is that it's from Scripture alone, is that there's a lot of traditions out there in the world. In fact, even some good churches have some traditions that may or may not be in alignment or contradiction to the Word itself. And we have to, what we have to do is, as men and women of God is we have to look at everything in our life, including our religious traditions, and compare them to what this says. And if it doesn't line up, then that tradition 
maybe isn't as important as we think it is. So what does the Bible actually say about the gospel, about the good news? I, I will say this, that, that in some places you go, they'll, they'll ask you to have a, a confessional time. And I would say this, in, in 1 Timothy 2.5, you can write it down, it says this, it says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. That you don't need another person to stand between you and God and tell you whether you're a Christian or not. You don't need me to tell you whether you're saved or not. There's one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus and him alone. Well, Pastor Drew, I... I I thought we were supposed to confess. You know what? In James 5, uh, 16, it does say confess your sins one to another. But can I tell you what that looks like? If you read that in context, that looks a whole lot more like, hey, William, what's been going on with you this week? Oh, I've been struggling with this and this and this, and I just need to, I need to get this off my chest. I need to tell you that this is what's, this is what's happening. And that's not so that I can bestow salvation upon you. That's so that we can deal with some stuff that's going on in your life so you can have freedom. And so we have to take tradition and we can say, okay, is it so important? In fact, like some traditions, some churches to say, well, to be a part of our church, you have to get baptized in our church. And I'm not saying that, I'm not going to come against someone who believes that, but, but I want to say that in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says that we're baptized into one body. That there's one baptism. And so, man, if you started coming to this church, you say, well, Pastor, I was baptized when I got saved years ago. Then I'd say, well, then you're baptized. Not to say that I'm not putting down other churches, but what I'm saying at our church is what we want to do is we want to take what this says and prioritize it above our traditions. And we're working on that. Forerunner House Spirit, there's still things in our tradition that maybe doesn't line up with this. We're going to have to start picking away at that stuff too. We're not all the way there yet. But as the Lord puts it on us, we will shift the more we see what Scripture says. So this morning, I want to start with, with just some really simple things. I want to take, take us through the gospel. I have four points. And maybe this will help you remember as you're talking to someone about the good news, about the gospel. Maybe this will help you remember these four points about how to walk them through the message of salvation. We're going to be a lot in Romans um, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the Romans came through and conquered the world. They built an empire. And when they built this empire, this is the world into which Jesus was born. Where the Romans had conquered the world. And the Romans, to get around their empire more easily, they had actually built a road. And it was a novel thing. It's, parts of it are still around today, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. And so they called it the Roman road. And and. This, this path to salvation sometimes is called the Roman road because most of it is found in the book of Romans. The book of Romans, just for some history, is a book that this, this man named Paul, he wrote to the Romans to raise support for one of his missionary journeys. And to raise support, he said, okay, here's what I'm going to be preaching, basically. And he laid out the entire message of salvation in the book of Romans. The first point that I want to talk about is this. There is a God, 
And if there is a God, what is he like? That's the first and most important part of salvation. And, and this goes back, if you look at the book of Acts, and I've done this where you pull apart every time they get up in the book of Acts and, and they preach the gospel. There's certain key elements that are always mentioned, and, and this is always in there, is, okay, there is a God, and, and let me tell you what he's like. If we look in Romans chapter 1, let's look at verses 19 and 20. This is says, in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation in the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You know what this is saying? This says there's something about creation itself that tells us that there is a God. And, and as, a, as a science teacher myself, every time we study certain parts of science, kids always say, well, wouldn't this point to evidence of the fact that there is a God? And my answer to that is, well, because I'm a public school teacher, I'd be like, well, what do you think? Um, but in front of you today, I would say Yes. Yes, and the more we look at things, the more we're like, okay, we can explain this, and the, and the inexplainable has to be the fact that there is a God. The scientists think that the world, the universe, is 14 billion years old. And did you know in the human body we have 3 billion pairs of DNA? And the more scientists look at that and they reconcile this, how in 14 billion years... Can three billion pairs of DNA become this? They say, there's just not enough time for that. There's just not enough time for that. Something has to be, what is going on here? This seems to be orchestrated somehow. Creation itself testifies. There has to be something that started it all. And I can't help but think when I'm driving and I see the sunset myself, I'm like, that is beautiful. Why do I think that's beautiful? It's almost like it was created just so I would go, wow, that's beautiful. Last night, I went and rode four-wheelers with my nephew for a minute. And at one point, I pulled off, and we turned off the lights, and I looked up in the sky, and there's, there were the stars. When you're outside of town, and the stars are just there, and you're like, what is going on here? This is amazing. Like, I feel so small and, and insignificant compared to all of creation. Creation itself is testifying that God is real. But, but, but here's the thing. When we look at Scripture, we find out something about God. If God is real, and I think deep in our hearts, we, we know He is. And, and here's what C.S. Lewis said. He called it the moral ought. He was like, look, look, if you have a little bit of orange, and someone walks up to you and just grabs that orange away, something inside you goes, well, wait a minute. That's wrong. Well, that 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 feeling of right and wrong, it's in us all. And if all you are is a bunch of atoms that have been combined to a bunch of molecules, which have been combined to a bunch of tissues, why would it matter that there's right and wrong? If there was no God, then why does right and wrong matter at all? Why can't I just go do whatever I want? But yet inside each and every one of us, there's this sense of right and wrong. And we know without anyone telling us, you, if you've had a little kid, you know. I remember when Michaela, sweet little Michaela, turned nine this month. But I remember when she was tiny. 
And she'd walk up to her sister, her older sister, and she'd just yank something out of her hand. And I'd, I said all the time, not meanly, but I'm like, oh, little Michaela, she's sinful and she needs Jesus. <laughs> and, and you look at her, she'd rip that out of her sister's hand and you'd look at her and she'd just be like, she knew what she did was wrong. We never had to tell her one time. She knew it when she did it, that she'd committed wrong. And inside of us, that is our own nature testifying to the fact that there is something beyond us that we know we're supposed to hold ourselves to. And that is the nature of God. And here's the thing about God. We have right and wrong, but God, He only has right. Because He is holy and perfect and righteous. And I could go to verse after verse in this book right here that tells us how holy and righteous and perfect God is. And, and these are words like holy and righteous aren't words we use a lot in our everyday language. But holy just means completely separated completely other than so pure that it's that like in our minds we can't even touch it it's that pure completely righteous completely right no wrong in him at all and this is the god of the universe but this is also the beginning of our problem because if god is completely holy and completely righteous and completely pure i looked in the morning or the mirror this morning, and I saw someone who wasn't. And it was me. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it tells us that sin cannot enter heaven. And I know one guy that's sinful, and it's me. And this is where, if you're in your Bible, we'll turn back to Romans chapter 1 again. If we go to the verse just before the ones we just read, we find out something. And it's crazy to me because we live in a day and age that wants to preach about the grace and love of God. But it's interesting to me that when Paul started talking about the good news, he started with this. This is the way he opens up in verse 18. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. God's holiness causes him to judge sin in his wrath. And it says in verse 21, it says, for although they knew God, right? We just, we just saw how creation itself testifies that God is real. In verse 20, it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their heart, to the impurities, to dishonoring themselves. Uh, excuse me, dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature, rather than the creator. In Romans chapter, you can flip over there. This is what it says. It says in verse 4, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance? Because because can I tell you, when we talk to people about who God is, this is what I hear a lot when I talk to people about the nature of God. It's like, well, God is love. And that's true. God is love. 
Well, God is kind. And that's true. God is kind. Well, God cares for it. He's forgiving. He's patient. And that's also true. All those things are true. But according to the scripture, it's telling us that God's patience and his kindness and his love is meant to bring us to repentance. And that word repentance literally means a changing of our minds. Verse 5 says this, but because of your hard and impotent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Can I say something that God, he's a lot of things, but he is a judge. God is a judge. And what we think is, well, God is, since he's, I've done mostly good in my life, and since God is good, and he's love and he's kind, then when God judges me, he'll see all the good things I've done, and he'll forgive me. But, but can I tell you something? God is a good and righteous judge. And, and can I tell you that, that if, if, if I'm at my house and a guy comes in and murders my whole family, and they catch the guy and take him to jail, and that guy goes and stands before the judge, and that judge looks at him and goes, you know what? I'm a kind judge, and I'm patient, and I'm loving, and because of that, I forgive you, and I set you free. I wouldn't think that's a good judge. I would think that's an evil judge. What kind of judge sets people free that have committed crime? And I'm going to tell you right now, according to this scripture, God is a good judge. And he will administer wrath to everyone who's committed crime. And I have bad news this morning. We've all committed the crime. Every one of us here this morning. And this brings us to our second part. Is the, if the first part is God is real and what is he like, the second part is this. People are sinful. Or you can write the sinfulness of man. That's who we are. We are the people guilty of the crime. And we just read it says that although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they came futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts became darkened. Ladies and gentlemen, this is talking about us. That we exchange the truth of God for a lie. We like the created better than the Creator and this is us all the time. When we have something going wrong in our life, we try to fulfill the void, the emptiness in our life with stuff. And can I tell you, anytime you're filling your, your, the emptiness of your life with stuff rather than God, you're walking in sin. Romans 3, 9, if we turn over to Romans chapter 3, verse 9, it says a lot here. You can read this entire little part that he writes in verses 9 through 19, but I just want to pull out one little sentence in here. In verse 9 it says, none is righteous, no, not one. In Romans 3.23, if we skip over to Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are short of God's perfection. 
And as we've already seen, none of us can enter into God's kingdom with even one little thing that's wrong with us. Just even one, but just a little bit of impurity. If you take one little bit of impurity and put it in something that is pure, it is no longer pure. And in Romans 2.16, it tells us that God judges the secrets of men. Well, I've done mostly good. And this is where I really want to get it. I'm not comparing you to any other person in this church. I'm not comparing you to anyone else you know. We all know bad people. I'm better than them. If you're married, sometimes you wake up and you think, well, I'm better than them. If you have siblings, I know you think it. I'm better than them. But God's not comparing you to anyone else. God's comparing you to himself. That's a problem. And God's comparing you to you when no one's around. That's why it says in 2.16 that he's judging your secrets, the things that no one sees. Everyone else in this room thinks you're pretty great, but he's seeing the things that no one else sees, and that's what he's judging. So I can get done with this sermon today, and we can go on thinking you're a wonderful person, but I'm going to tell you, we don't know. And I will never know the secret things that go on in your heart. Because that's, see, that's where Jesus really got at the issue. Jesus really got at it because people come to Jesus, ask him what's sin and what's this, that. And Jesus telling people, you know, you think, you think if you go and sleep around on your spouse that you've committed adultery. But can I tell you, if you just lust after someone, that's adultery. And you think you're so great because you've never murdered someone, but if you hate somebody, you've murdered. It's the secrets of your heart that the Lord is looking at. And that's a lot heavier deal than all the outward things. And this is the place where we find ourselves. And even where it tells us, I think it's in 1 John, it says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And you think, how can that be such a bad thing? Well, First of all, there's, there's, there's a consequence that we, we don't talk about much anymore in church. And that's your eternity. Hell is a real place. And if you look at this book, it describes hell as a real place. And there's been some, I'd like to say well-meaning people who have tried to explain away hell was it well it's just figurative and this all and man i wish that were true can i tell you there's some like the problem with believing this as truth is there's some things here that i don't like even as a christian pastor there's some things in here i don't like as a person but can i tell you something i know this is life and this is truth and if i don't like it the problem is me, not this. And what this teaches is there is a place, there is an eternity. And can I tell you something else though? Salvation isn't just so that you can keep from going to hell. Jesus said this in John 10. He said, I have come so you can have life and life to the fullest. 
the third part of this, if the first one is there is a God and what is He like, and the second part is we're sinful and sin separates us from God, then the third part would be this, and this is where the real good news begins, is that Christ is the only solution. That's a good time to amen if you're about this thing today, right? Christ is the only solution. See, and and we we saw already it says that the wages of sin is death. Uh, We can turn to, let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Flip over a few pages. Verse 23, it says what we've already been talking about. It says that the wages of sin is death, but then it goes on. And this is where it starts to get really good for us. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life In Christ Jesus, our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that goes back to John 10.10 where Jesus said, I've come that you can have life and life to the fullest. And here's the thing, is that this is only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And we live in a world that likes to believe there's lots of ways to God. There's lots of ways to heaven. You believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe, and and we'll just call it a day. But I'm going to tell you that if you truly believe this, and truly believe what Jesus said, that Jesus is the only way. And I know there's a lot of religions in the world, a lot of beliefs in the world, but they aren't the way. Jesus said some pretty crazy things about himself. He didn't say, I am a way. And some people believe Jesus is, well, he was good, and there's some good moral things here in this book. But Jesus didn't leave any wiggle room in that. Jesus made some pretty incredible claims. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen God. Jesus said that before Abraham, one of the great leaders in their faith, existed, I existed, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. That's some pretty incredible stuff. So either Jesus was completely lying, or he was crazy, or he was who he said he was. But he wasn't just a good guy. There's there's no way you can say Jesus was just a good guy, a good moral teacher, because of the outrageous things he said. But who was Jesus? If we dig into this world, we find out that Jesus was the only sinless person to ever live. He was the only person to ever walk this earth and never sin. That's crazy. Have you ever sinned? It's really fun to talk about this in kids' church because you'll say, have you ever sinned? And there's always those kids who are like, oh, me. Oh, yeah? Who's lying right now? Mm. And here's Jesus who claims to be God in the flesh. And we already read that, that the wages of sin is death. The payment for your sin is good news. It's death. And here's Jesus who never sinned, so he never owed a death. This completely pure life never owed a death. And yet, what happens? Remember, 
God is a good judge. And there must be payment for the crime or God is no longer a good judge. So this is what Jesus does. The scripture tells us that he who knew no sin was made to be sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. And when Jesus went to the cross, what happened was all of our sin was put on that cross. And the wrath of God that we deserve was poured out on Jesus Christ. There must be payment for the crime. And Jesus steps up and on the cross makes payment for our crime. Something He never did. But it doesn't end there because three days later Jesus does something to prove His victory over sin and death by rising from the dead. And I want to be very clear this morning. We believe that a man born 2,000 years ago rose from the dead and is alive today. That is a crazy thing to believe. And if you let yourself, you can let it not seem so real to you. It can just be a tradition. But let me pull on that little religious callous part of your heart for just a minute. Jesus rose from the dead and He is alive today. And I'll go a little further. He will return. He is coming again. And my question is, how will he find you? So if our issue is that I have to be as righteous as God is, and that the judge can no, lot, no longer let uh, sin go free, this is what the scripture tells us. It says, the righteous, in Romans it says, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as propitiation by His blood to receive, be received by faith. Romans 4.22-25 says it a, a little differently, but it, says, it tells us that those who believe in God are raised, who, who, God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead as Lord will be counted as righteous because of their faith and who Jesus is. Basically, all that to say this, if you believe in who Jesus is and you surrender your life to that, then what God does is He takes all of Jesus' righteousness and He puts it on you so that when God looks at you, He doesn't see all the junk. He doesn't see all the sin. He doesn't see everything that... He doesn't see that. He sees that you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and that you're pure, but I'm not. Yeah, that's the good news. That's the good news. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Let's, let's read this. We're going to read verses 6 through 11. It says this. It says, For while we were still weak, that means while we were still messed up, while we were still ugly, while we were still impure, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows His full love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It is the blood of Jesus that sets us free. It is the cross of Christ, His death, where we find life. But wait, there's more. And this is my fourth and final point is this. You must have faith. You must have faith. Go over to Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 through 13, it says this. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Greek, sorry, for the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't want to take a moment here, and I want to, I want to make a distinction that in our culture we've done a really good job of separating because it's convenient for us. And it's, it's this, it's, it's the Lordship of Christ is Jesus as Lord and is Jesus as Savior? Because, can I tell you something? We all really, really like the idea of Jesus as Savior. Because that means we get forgiven. Oh, Jesus saved me. He forgave me. He had grace on me. When I was messed up, He set me free. We really, really like the idea of being clean in Jesus. We like the idea of Jesus as Savior. We really struggle with the idea of Jesus as Lord. And if you go back and look at so many of these scriptures that I've already read this morning, time and time again, it references Jesus, not just as Savior, but as Lord. But what does that mean? What does that mean, Jesus as Lord? It's, this is not a terminology we have in America anymore. We don't have Lords anymore. It, this would have made a lot of sense to people 2,000 years ago. Because there were people who were in charge, but... We don't have that here. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a kingdom with a king and you walk up to the walls of the kingdom and you've been hostile to that kingdom. You've been an enemy to that kingdom. And you walk up and you say, hey, can I, can I get in? And the king goes, oh, sure. I, I have grace and forgiveness. Come on in. Sure, but 
I don't want to obey any of your laws when I come in. I don't want to have to do anything you ask me to do. I just want the forgiveness. I just don't want to be an enemy anymore. But I don't, I don't want to surrender my life to your kingship. Does that make any sense at all? No. And yet, that's, that's what we find most people. We, and, this is, and this is another tradition that we have. And I don't, it's not an evil tradition. It's not a bad tradition. But we have this tradition of when people feel the tug of God on their heart, we say, okay, pray this prayer with me. And we pray them through a sinner's prayer. And when they get done praying, they feel a little better. And we say, don't you feel better? And they say, yeah, okay, you're saved now. And we send them on their way. And what's happened is, is we've given them the grace of the Savior, but we've never held up to them the Lordship of Christ. And they go on, they live their life the way they want for the rest of their life, without being surrendered to the king, and in their mind, they have this thing where they think that they're saved. But they're not living for the king. In Romans chapter 6, it says, just because you have grace, does that mean you keep sinning? You keep living for yourself? By no means. There has to come a point where your life changes because you're living under the kingship of Christ, under the lordship of the Savior. It says it right here that you have to confess with your mouth what? That Jesus is Lord. And what this would be, this would be like swearing allegiance to a new king. And in America today, our allegiance tends to be to ourselves and what feels good to us. I'm going to do what makes me feel good. And that's why I said a while ago, I don't like what some of this says. But this is what the king says. This is what the Lord says. And if I don't like it, I have to surrender to this whether I like it or not. And I would say this morning, there might be people in here today who said, you know, I've prayed the sinner's prayer, but I've never surrendered my life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I still just do what I want, and then I just pray to be forgiven all the time. When Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit, We all know John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. We all like that one. But just a few verses later in verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you don't obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on you. You don't see that one held up at football games. Is your allegiance to Christ or is it to yourself? Paul described 
following Christ as dying every day. Having to die to yourself every day. Jesus described following Him in a way, I should be so much Lord of your life that compared to your family, it looks like you hate your family. Jesus wants everything. Surrendering your life to Christ is not just becoming a better version of who you already are. Going back to John chapter 3, it's a, it's a great story. Jesus is talking to one of the religious leaders of that day. They're sitting there at night, kind of having this sneaky conversation. And this religious leader says to Jesus, he says, what do you got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. Like, you have to be rebirthed. And it blows this guy's mind. He's like, wait, I, I have to go back in my mother's womb and be born again? What? No. No. But this is not just me becoming a better version of who I am. This is me be being completely reborn. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a lot of you know this. It says that if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. My question this morning, have you become new since you surrendered your life to Christ? So, so very rarely when I'm leading someone to Christ, do I say, do you want to get saved? A lot of them don't understand. Saved from what? Well, saved from the wrath of God, according to Romans. Saved from what? A lot of times when I'm leading someone to Christ, my question is, are you ready to surrender everything about who you are to the lordship and kingship of Christ and die to yourself completely? so that you may be made completely new. And that's the good news. The good news is that you can be made completely new. The good news is you can, you can completely die and be reborn in Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with a sinner's prayer. But you don't need a sinner's prayer to surrender your life for Christ. In fact, it's almost comical to me because if you come to me and you say, I've surrendered my life to Christ, I, I, I will rejoice with you, but I won't know whether you have or not for a while. We'll have to, we'll have to walk with you and see what's going on in your life. We're going to have to see how your life stacks up to this. It's like, well, I don't know everything that says yet. Oh, but here's the good news. We'll walk with you in this. So we can find out what this says 
until all of our lives. In fact, that's, that's part of why we're doing discipleship is we're realizing, oh my goodness, there's so much about my life that isn't lining up to this. And it's time for me just to keep dying every day and surrendering my life every day to what the Word says. Every day. God is so good. God is so good that He, he was willing that no one should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. Turn with me real quick to Matthew. Yeah, we'll go to Matthew. Matthew 28, verse 19 is where we're going to go. And can I, can I say this this morning? In the book of Acts, they preach this message of the gospel to some folks. And these folks are pierced in their heart. And they say, wait, you mean there's life in Christ? There's life when I surrender my life to Christ? How many of you have ever experienced that life in Christ? And, and can I say this? I don't know if I have. Then, then do this. And this is it's a good way to question yourself whether you have, and it's a good way to remember how to share your testimony. And it's this, it's you ask yourself, one, what was your life like before you met Christ? Two, how did you meet Christ? And three, how was your life different after you surrendered your life to Christ? Now, if you look at those three questions, you're like, well, my life wasn't much different than it is now before I met Christ, and I don't really remember the moment I met him then I, I, I would say, maybe this morning you need to surrender your life to Christ. But that's also a good way to, the next time you're talking to somebody about the good news of the gospel, is like, can I tell you what I was like before Jesus? And can I tell you how I met him? Can I tell you about my life now that I'm a new creation, that I have life and hope and the goodness of God fills my life? I have the grace of God that I carry with me every day, and I want to extend that to you this morning. Now that I'm walking in obedience to Christ. Everyone say the word obedience. Say obedience. Can I tell you something? The obedience doesn't earn your way into heaven. The obedience is as a result of your heart having been completely changed. That's what it is. My works don't make me saved, but when I got saved, my works completely changed. And can I tell you, in the book of Acts, some people heard this message and they looked at the men of God. They said, what must I do to be saved? And they responded this. They said, repent. That means change your mind, which is what I'm asking you guys to do this morning. And then it said this, and be baptized. Wait, what? Be baptized? And he was just responding to this in Matthew 28. He said, 
19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Can I tell you something this morning? When, when I read scripture and read about baptism, I, I'm, I'm not one that thinks baptism is something that makes you saved, but I think baptism is one of the first things you're commanded to do to show that you have been saved. It's obedience to the king. It's obedience to the word. The word says, repent, change your mind, and be baptized. And so I say this morning, Repent and be baptized. Change your mind and believe the good news. Flip just a couple more pages over, and this is how I finish. This is, this is Jesus talking. In verse 14, it says, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God saying the time is fulfilled this morning can i tell you the time is fulfilled and and can i tell you that this word time is the time when god breaks into your world that's what this means there's two types of time in the bible there's time like some of you are like when is he going to be done time time that's on a watch and then there's time when God invades your world and grabs your heart and says, I'm right here. This is that kind of time. He says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Some translations say the kingdom of God is near. What he's saying is God has come close to you. He's broken into your time and he's drawn near to where you're at. And he says this, repent and believe the gospel. Change your mind and believe the good news. And that is the message of the gospel for every single one of us today to change our mind and believe. Believe what Jesus said about himself. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now? I kind of railed against tradition when I started this message this morning. So, so let me end by upsetting our tradition just for a minute. I'm not going to have anyone play music. And I'm not going to pray a prayer with you right now. Not that those are bad things. There's only one thing that's important right now in this moment. Is this. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He died for your sins? Do you believe He rose from the dead proving to be victorious? And are you willing to confess allegiance to His Lordship in your life and be obedient to Him because you love Him?
Is he Savior and Lord? Take a moment and examine your heart. Believers in this place today, is there an area of your life that you've been withholding from the King? Surrender it now. It will bring you life and freedom this morning. This morning, if, if you've made a decision while you were sitting there this morning, if you made a decision while I was preaching this morning that I need to give my life to Christ, then will you do me a favor and after church, will you come up and talk to me? If you've never been obedient in the area of baptism, would you come up and talk to me and and I, I mean, I don't have to baptize you, but the Bible says repent and be baptized. We'll baptize you here. It, if you say it can't wait till tomorrow, we'll, we'll go and find a place and baptize you today. Otherwise, we can baptize you next week right here in this place because, because it's just showing obedience to the king because we love Him, because He has brought newness of life. Before I met Christ, I thought I was a good kid. Before I met Christ, I was a church kid. Did all the church kid things. And everyone thought I was a Christian, but I knew deep down inside that I was away from God. And there was a moment where God met me. And I can take you to the place where Jesus asked for my life. In a cavalier moment, I said, God, you can ask anything from me and I'll give you anything because I'm a good kid. And that's when God said, I want your friends. That was an area that I was not willing to surrender at that point in my life. But I knew in that moment that if I didn't surrender my heart to Christ, that I would remain lost 
with this fake appearance of Christianity on me. And from that moment on, I began to walk with Christ. And I began to feel His love and His peace and His joy in my life like I've never felt before. I'd like to tell you, life was completely easy after that. No. No, and John, Jesus says, I said to these things so you can have peace in this world, you will have trouble. But then He said this, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And that's what I've walked in the last couple of decades. I've walked in a peace with God when some of the things that we've gone through as a family would wreck hearts, would wreck marriages, would wreck lives, and yet God has brought us through because of His peace and His love and His joy in our hearts. Will you stand with me? I, I want us to pray for those that don't know the Lord. How many know someone that doesn't know the Lord? Yeah, we all do. Here's what's really great. Jesus said in Luke, He said, pray Pray that the laborers would be sent out to the harvest, right? Those that are lost. Pray that people would be sent out to save those who are lost. That's what we're going to do. But then he followed that up, right? When he got done saying that, you know what he did? He said, okay, now you guys go. Guess who the laborers were? It was them praying the prayer. They were the answer to their own prayer. So we're going to pray for our loved ones and those we know, that God would send someone to them with the word of the Lord, with the message of the gospel. And then I want you to know that you're the answer to that prayer. So Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy and your grace that we've experienced, Father God. Lord, that while we were yet sinners, Jesus, you died for us. Lord, that you've taken all of our sin and all our shame, it was nailed to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for setting us free that we can have newness of life, that we have been born again. And God, right now we pray, Lord God, just begin to lift your voice. We pray for those who don't know you. We pray for those who haven't yet surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. God, we pray Lord God, that you would send someone to them to tell them of the love and mercy of God. To tell them of the goodness of the Savior. To declare to them the message of Jesus Christ. Because we know, God, that you're willing that none should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. Father God, we pray, Lord God, for divine wisdom and revelation that someone would speak just the right word at just the right time. Oh God, we know that no one comes to the Father unless you draw them. So God, we just pray the Holy Spirit begin to just pull on their hearts that they would be open to receive the gospel. God, if we understand, Lord, that as we pray this, Lord, that we are the answer to our own prayer. 
So God, right now, I pray across this congregation, Lord, that you would just baptize us in the Holy Spirit once again. Lord God, that you would put in us a boldness to declare the truth of God to every person we encounter. Lord God, because these words are life. These words are life. Jesus. He is good. Is He good this morning? He is so good. He is so, God is so good. God is so good. I'm thinking that song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I remember the day we had a young lady. She'd been coming to church, dressed in black all the time. She had a rough life. And I remember the day she gave her life to Christ. Her grandmother got a hold of us and said, she keeps just, she keeps just like looking out the window and saying, I'd never realized how much color there was in the world. And she completely changed the way she dressed, not because anyone told her or anything like that, but she was just like, I just feel like I have to, feel like there has to be change. I feel like, I feel like the world is different. I feel like a different person now. And it's all that. How many of you have ever experienced that kind of change in your life? Amen. Amen. I, I, I encourage you to share that experience with someone, with that person that you've prayed for this week. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.